I love movies. Thank you very much. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast, and welcome to our special Thanksgiving episode. Matt, I can speak for myself in saying that I am extremely full. Uh, and our mailbag is full because this episode is all about questions from our audience. Our cornucopia runneth over with questions and listeners. Listeners too, I hope. Yeah, I mean, we there's so many of you who who listen to us every week, who contribute, who participate, and we just thought it would be nice to turn it over to you and and answer some of your questions to the best of our ability. And we have a lot of questions, Matt. We have just, I, I was overwhelmed with how many questions some people uh, and, and multiple people put in. So um, I don't know. I mean, I guess in fairness, uh, you know, I was watching uh, the, the Dark Knight yesterday. And as Harvey Dent would say, the, the only fair thing in an unfair world is chaos and chance. So how should we go through all of these questions? Well, we're going to need some kind of random number generator, something that could, uh, I don't know, because, I, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. You sent me this list, and it's a, it's a pretty big read. There's a lot of questions here. Great um, ones, too. We're going to need some way to just, I, I think it'd be most fair just to randomly pick uh, and, and kind of cross them off the list as we go, but but we'll need some kind. If only there was some sort of... Uh, like a supercomputer. Sort of, like an apparatus, something to do. You know, cast, cast fate to, to the podcast gods and see what they come back with. I mean, I don't know. I've got a computer here. It's just a ninth generation Intel processor with a you know the latest from NVIDIA uh, graphics cards. I mean, I've got some processing power, but I don't think it's powerful enough to randomly generate the, the kind of random generated numbers we're going to need. Yeah, no, I agree. I think this has to turn to science. I mean, I know you're a hard science guy, but I think this for this episode, we need to go uh, with a little bit of the magic. Magic, you say? Hmm. Well, wait, no. I... I have a mage character from when I used to play uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, let Ooh. me see if I've still Seems got promising. That. Here we wait. Yes, here it is. <laughs> I've, I've got uh, something here that that I think can do what we need. No, I don't know if you've seen What Out American Summer, but uh, <laughs> no dungeon master worth his weight in Geldings goes anywhere without his twenty sided dice. Ooh, what do you this say we we give it a roll? For every and then whatever it gives us, that's the question we answer. How does that sound? I think that's I think that's the only fair way to handle this. You, you got them numbered here. You must have had some kind of premonition that we would be doing something like this. It's so. fate. It's destiny. Destino. All right. So well, let's. Oh, normally we have uh, Mistress Ophelia read the questions for our, our questions from the crypt, but I think because we have so many, I think we should just have her do some kind of intro for us. Uh, int- introduce this um, this festival of thanks that we have. Yeah, start us off, Mistress Ophelia. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, boomers and millennials, the Grindhouse podcast presents the greatest of extravaganzas, the most spectacular of the spectacular, the episode episode of Thanks. thanks. (laughs) All right, we got a 20-sided dice here. We're hoping for, well, I guess it doesn't really matter if we get a critical hit or just the, the nerd in me feels like there should be some consequence for rolling a one, but uh, but number one is a pretty good question, so... Mm. <laughs> uh, so it, it, but you know what I'm talking All right, about. Yeah, yeah anyway, sure. And if we roll a critical hit, uh, that actually wouldn't be good because we don't have 20 questions. Um, all right, I'm in the nerd weeds. I need to get out of them. So I should just go ahead and roll and ask us a question. Rolling the die. Question number 12. 
Okay, question number twelve. Oh, so number twelve. So number twelve is one of our lightning round questions. Oh yes, we had some of the listeners sent in、uh, a lot of questions packed together, and so that we can do the show in time, we're gonna fire these ones off and just lightning them. So, so the rules of a lightning round question are as such: I will read the questions, be it three, four, five, how many it is, and then Matt and I will, in rapid succession, respond to them. That yes, and I'll reiterate which of the questions. <laughs>、okay. All right. So number twelve from Jason Zini, lightning round. Will interest in Marvel films recede now that the Infinity Stone storyline is wrapped and Iron Man is gone? Is it possible that the Irishman was just as derivative,、uh, just a derivative greatest hits of Scorsese gangster movies that show no more originality or emotional pull than its respect in its respective genre than movies such as Endgame? How does one quantify something inherently subjective as cinema? Will there ever be a return to studios consistently gambling on original mid-sized budgeted films? So, Matt, would you like to lightning round answer these? Um. Yeah.、Uh, so, okay.、Uh, the Marvel films. No, they're going to get really weird, jump the shark, and do something crazy.、Uh, Irishman. Yes, it is possible that it was derivative because anything is possible if you believe. <laughs> something is subjectively cinema if you you just know it. You'll just feel it in your bones. It's like porn. You know it when you see it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and. Um, Yeah, I, I think studios are gonna—they're gonna be doing a lot of things in the future,、uh, just just to try to stay relevant. And I, I got a feeling mid-sized budget, you know, art films will will come back. We'll see a lot of more of those. All right. So、uh, for me,、uh, will Marvel films recede? Yes, I think they will. Actually, I think that、um, I think you're gonna start to see a drop off. I think the ten years of a of one storyline's natural conclusion is there, and at some point, people do move on to other things. Um, is it possible that the Irishman was derivative? Sure, I guess it's possible, but, but honestly, no. It's much better than Endgame. You're just mad that Scorsese dunked on Marvel films and you're taken out of him. The Irishman was fucking great. It's a really good movie.、Um, how does one quantify something inherently subjective as cinema? Well, there's a there is a generally a universally agreed upon set of criteria, and it's existed that way for 120 years. And just because schlock is really popular right now doesn't mean that that criteria is no more valid. Would there be a return to mid-sized movies?、Uh, well, it depends on if people go to the movies and support these films. And if they don't, then they won't. They'll just go see the big schlock blockbuster amusement park rides.、Um, it's up to you. It's up to the audience. Like studios are inherently risk adverse. So if mid-sized movies do well, you'll get more of them. If they're not doing well, then you won't. Just like Joker was sort of a mid-sized movie and it did really well, and Warner Brothers is going to roll out a whole bunch of them. That's how they roll. So. Go see them, and you'll get more of them. Lightning! All right, answer. <laughs> Cross it off the list, man. All right, roll in the D twenty. Come on, critical hit, except or something close to it. Eighteen. We don't have eighteen questions. Okay, we don't have eighteen I mean, questions. We do, Go but again. We don't have eighteen different questions. That's right. That's right. So while you're rolling again, I'm going to say that this hotel coffee is okay, but it's not Blackheart coffee. And I'm really wishing that I had brought that with me because I could definitely use it on this early morning. It's an hour later here than it、Critical、is normally back home. Twenty.、Uh, oh, boom! Matt's not having the luck there. I'm just rolling twenties and nineteens. <laughs> <laughs> I never have this luck. What the heck? All right. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Courtfish from, from the courtfish. Who is the hitchhawk? Hitchhawk. Who is the who? <laughs> 
<laughs> the hitchhawk. The hitchhawk. The mysterious <laughs> man. Everybody wants to know. He, uh, he travels from town to town, hawking random items. Yes, he's he. I, you can the spot hitchhawk. him with his polka dotted cape and his oh, yes. black mask. But that's not what the courtfish is asking. The courtfish is asking, who is the Hitchcock master auteur of our times? Scorsese. <laughs> is that our I mean, times? I, Scorsese is... Uh, well, so, okay, that's a funny that you asked that. Because last night when I was reading through this question, I thought the same thing. I don't know if Scorsese's are at times. Because he's definitely... you know His prime years were of a different generation, even though he's still kicking. Um, so if we're just counting... If we're just counting directors who are still alive, then I would say Scorsese. If you look at the body of his work, there's nobody as good as him at this for the longevity that he's had. But if you're looking for someone a little bit more contemporary, I think I got to go with Christopher Nolan. Um, because, you know, and, and maybe that's really my answer because, you know, Jason asked about the Marvel films and all that. And I, and I don't know that there's a director who has... I mean, maybe you could say Todd Phillips with his movie The Joker, but that's that's one film, right? If you look at what Christopher Nolan does, he's worked within the boundaries of genre. And I think for the most part, most people would consider that he has elevated them to what some would consider cinema, right? I mean, if you look at The Dark Knight, for example, which I just watched, it is very much a... It's not even a neo-noir. It's a, it's a postmodern noir. It's 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 the neo neo noir, you know, uh, dealing with things like uh, national security and homeland security and the government spying on us and and the the anxieties of how good society is or isn't all all within the boundaries of or the the wrapping of a superhero film and so it also ironically like Todd Phillips dealing with the Joker so I I'll, I'll go with Christopher Nolan as being of our time but. Still alive and kicking. That's going to go with Scorsese. I'm going to be. I'm going to just go out there on a limb, make a prediction, because I know what you're saying. We got Scorsese still around doing it. You know, we've got guys like Quentin Tarantino showing some other sides of himself yeah, lately. Yeah. We got all kinds of, uh, yeah. Todd Phillips is showing he could do comedy and whatever the Joker was, uh, but which I I still think it's a comedy film. But um, I, I'm going to say Eli Roth, and this is this is not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I know, I know, I know, man. This is listen to oh, me yeah. now. I think we've only seen the twilight of his, or not the the the, the daybreak of his I, career. He's he's oh, okay. he he because he's shown that he's got a, a a way of making films that um, is very uh, brash and brave and cavalier. And and I think what we've seen is the uh, the young Eli, uh, you know, Eli Unchained kind of wild man, you know, youth, but. But I think something's going to happen in about three or four years, maybe, maybe, maybe into 2020. I don't know what he's got on the on the um, you know on the stovetop right now, but something's going to come up. I, I mean, I know I, I sound like one of those when they had back in the daytime television days when like, Oprah would have like a psychic on to predict what this is. You know, what's going to happen to Brad Pitt this year? Well, Brad Pitt, I predict that you're going to have a great year. Uh, I'm basically doing that, but I, I do. I think something. I think he's the kind of filmmaker that. He's gonna, you know, he's in a little bit of a lull right now, but he's gonna start getting jobs that are, uh, you know, and, and getting some ideas. And and I mean, he's shown that he's got some real creative. I'm, I'm, not, I'm gonna say genius level, you know, talents, and something's gonna happen. And you watch, we're gonna, we don't know it yet, but Eli Roth is because because I'm trying to do the our time thing. You understand? Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So All right. I buy that. It's Eli Roth. All right, Matt. Next question. Let's see what we got here. Sorry, it took me a second to realize 
Uh, you were asking me to roll that dice thing again. Okay. That's the whole point of this. <laughs> uh, it's number five. Number five. Um, you want to read it? From okay. one of our most loyal listeners, Sam V. Blair. And he asked, what are some of your favorite holiday traditions slash holiday movies? And he is thankful for friends and family. Mm-hmm. What, what have you got? What's one of your favorite holidays, cinema experiences, traditional things? So obviously, I think when we talk about holiday movies, we mean not just Thanksgiving, but we mean, you know, Christmas, right? Sort of the holidays are both. It's like the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So uh, I, I, have to, I have three. Three movies that I would say that I, I always watch during the holidays, and it warms my heart and it reminds me of that, that it's a special time of the year. And that is Batman Returns, which is a Christmas movie. Uh, Die Hard, which is a Christmas movie. Nightmare Before Christmas, which is a Halloween and a Christmas movie, and a little-known Thanksgiving movie, Spider-Man. All right. Explain some of these, because uh, I, I don't remember the Spider-Man connection to Thanksgiving at all. It's set during Thanksgiving. There's a scene where uh, they invite Norman Osborn to the um, their Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and he's already the Green Goblin, so he's, he's like, carving the knife all weird, like, kind of wild, and... He goes to, to, to sample some of the food, and, like, Aunt May slaps his hand, and he looks at her, but then he kind of, like, eases up. Oh, okay. So a movie, in your uh, definition of movies, a Thanksgiving, or it's a holiday movie if any scene in that film takes place during the holidays. So Outside the, of montages. So if it, if oh, it takes oh. place during the, that time period, then, yes, I would consider it a holiday movie. Yeah, I, well, maybe it is. I, I don't remember what the... Um, Time, the, 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 the time sequence. What am I trying to say? The uh, the range of time that Spider Man takes place over uh, the events. How, how how many weeks does it take for the events of Spider Man to, to play out? Uh, I don't know, but I do know that the only real sort of semblance of time in it is that at one point he's in school, and then he's not in school, and then they're at Thanksgiving, and therefore it's a Thanksgiving movie. Hmm. All right. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like a holiday movie has to have the air of the holiday in in this scene you know gremlins for example you definitely know it's christmas time the whole time oh, yeah sure sure uh but uh Batman but, returns yeah i don't see here's the problem with thanksgiving though the problem with thanksgiving though is outside of the, the, the a dinner scene which spider-man has you, you don't have like the weather or or decoration uh, aesthetic that you like like oh die hard for example right or batman returns or gremlins you could have set that movie at almost any time. And the fact that it's around Christmas time doesn't actually change the plot all that much. Although, I guess in Gremlins, he does. It is a Christmas gift. That could have been a birthday gift, right? Yeah. But what makes it a Christmas movie is that everywhere you look is snow and decorations and packages. And, you know, there's a whole aesthetic attached to it. You don't really – outside of Halloween, you don't really get that with the other holidays. I mean, you don't see people with great movies with aesthetic during, like, say, President's Day. You know, that's something that's sort of reserved just for Halloween and for Christmas. So it's a little tougher to 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 find these hidden gems with some of the other holidays, but they do exist, and Spider Man is one of them. I know there's that there's that uh, trend of uh, where they they'll make a movie called a holiday and release it on that holiday. Like I think there was a Valentine's Day movie at one point. Those movies suck. Yeah, they're terrible. They put the, these crazy uh, inflated casts with the, everybody who's worked in the past five years. Like, in the that film. worked for only one movie, and that's Love Actually. 
and and it has never worked again. Huh. Uh, well, I guess I should answer the question too. Um, <laughs> Thanksgiving movie. I I. Feel, I or just holiday movie. Just holiday. holiday. Okay, yeah, because I, I kind of feel like Thanksgiving movies are just when the Christmas movies start playing uh, early and during Thanksgiving. Uh, holiday movies uh, for Halloween. I got to go with Trick or Treat. Oh. Yeah, okay. you know what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah. The one that's like Love little that vignettes movie. with the little pumpkin head monster guy? Yeah, Michael Doherty's movie. It's a very good movie. Uh, for Christmas, we we do have we well we have a tradition of watching the Warriors actually during Christmas. Oh, you know the the seventies movie, movie about all the gangs yeah. of New York and they get in a fight. Not gangs of New York, but it's because it, also it, a good holiday movie. Well, if I feel like if gangs of New York uh, borrowed anything from the, the Warriors, it'd be a much better film because it, it, the gangs and the Warriors have like costumes and and, and songs and they're interesting. The, the gangs in Gangs of New York have costumes also. They have like the. The, the blue sashes and the red sashes. The, yeah, but it's not like the baseball furies, a whole baseball team that no, have, fights you have, with baseball. They didn't have baseball back then. Uh, or the, they had butchers. I mean, the, war, the Warriors had a gang of guys wearing overalls and roller skates. I, I don't even know if that's a thing, but that was I don't thing. even know that's very practical in warfare. They did okay. Uh, why is that a family tradition? Uh, it's like my mom's favorite movie. It's just like a thing. Uh, so it's uh, a way I, I know I can get the whole family together because uh, mom loves the film and everybody else loves the film. So I could just say, hey, you guys want to watch The Warriors? I found it on Netflix or whatever. And then and then nice. there we go. We're, we're watching them get, try to get back to Coney Island. Well, uh, in, in keeping with what uh, Sam is is thankful for, friends and family, it sounds like you've got your own friends and family tradition that helps bring everyone together. Yeah, yeah, we have, good, we have fun. All right, let's get on to the next Roll that magical question. die. What could it... What's the question going to be? Number 10. Number 10. Ooh, this is a good one. This is from Adam Baum. Totally his real name. If you could remake any horror film from the last 25 years, what would you choose and why? And and if I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit. I'm going to add just uh, any horror movie you'd like to remake because we're in the year we're nearly in the year 2020 so 25 years ago is not that long ago <laughs> yeah that's true yeah so we, we i mean can... you're like you're talking about the mid 90s really so well i, I mean know, let's sure. do it let's do it yeah okay let's do 25 years because i was gonna say i was gonna say kiss versus phantom of the park but uh um, <laughs> so horror movies that came out in the uh, okay i got one i got one um, Saw. I think Saw had a really good premise. Yeah. Like, terrible execution. And then, listen, I know that there are people who love the Saw series. I only saw the first one. I saw it in theaters. It sucked. Had Carrie Yoles in it. That was the only saving grace. Um, but the, it, it kind of was the the, the the kickoff to all that sort of torture porn that was coming out. You yeah. Know, the, you talked about Eli Roth earlier. That was sort of his early, you know, hostels and and uh, Human Centipede and all that stuff. I wasn't a big fan of that. But, you know, the premise of this sort of mastermind, you know, murderer who's just, like, outthinking his foes kind of – I mean, essentially they did it for Seven, I guess. But, but you know, that's more of a drama with some horror elements or some real dark elements. I think, I think if you did a horror version of that, that could be really fascinating. You know, I was, I'm watching currently um, Death Note. Oh yeah, the the yeah, original yeah, anime, the not anime. the uh, yeah. not the remake. And what I love about it is that it's just two great minds battling one another, trying to out. It's a it's a big game of chess, right? Yeah. And I felt like 
maybe with a little bit more maturity, you could have gotten that from the Saw films, and it's not there. Hmm. So I, I'd like to I'd like to see someone take a stab at getting it, like a maybe Christopher Nolan. Let's ha- let's have Christopher Nolan remake Saw. He's an auteur of our time, and see what it comes out to. So Saw, but instead of all pseudo intellectual and pretentious, it it actually is a smart film. That's what you'd like to see. Yes, that's what I would love to see. Yeah, it does sound kind of cool, actually. Uh, I, I actually I know right away what I would remake, uh, and, and it's gonna need a little time before we can do this again because they just made I guess a remake or a sequel uh, this year. But that would be Doom, um, oh, yeah, the 2005 film starring The Rock, uh, Doom, based on the video game. Uh, they really haven't made a Doom game uh, movie yet. Uh, the, the Doom movies are terrible, and they they don't feel like the video game. Uh, the video game is just one of my favorites. We've talked about this before. Uh, and and I would I would like to actually see a good Doom movie at some point because like the first one was instead of demons they were fighting mutants on a spaceship. Uh, the second one, yeah, there was a whole hell aspect. Uh, the one that just came out this year. Have you seen it yet? No, I haven't watched any of those. Don't films. bother, dude. It, but but it, it's like instead instead of fighting all the cool video games, there's just kind of people that are basically zombies they fight zombies you know, why, why do you think it's so hard for them to make a doom movie i mean constantine dealt with demons it was badass i i don't know i think there is um sometimes there's it's hard to it's hard to move games over to films because games have rules and they are they're they're games they're activities where uh sure there is a bit of storytelling involved especially in the newer doom but I think a filmmaker doesn't really look at that. I, I, I think, for one, they don't consider the storytelling medium of a video game to be uh, anything they should draw from because it's, uh, it's, it's a them, to a filmmaker. I think a lot of them have a bias that it's, a, it's not a uh, st- substantial medium. You know, it's not, it's not legit. What, uh, I find iro- I'm, what I find ironic, though, is that if you look at, and I'm, I'm by, I am by no means a gamer. But if you look at a lot of the games that are coming out recently, in, in my estimation, they have some really solid storytelling, far more so than a lot of the Marvel films that come out. You know, the much the much maligned Marvel films. Like, I mean, those are very cookie cutter for the most part. You know, insert character, insert evil version of character, and with a big CGI battle, go home, you know, forgettable score, etc. I feel like a lot of the games that come out in the last 20 years have had a lot of depth in their storytelling uh, yeah and that's what that's what i think uh we we addressed this in one of our episodes when we had mark from the grave talk podcast on that i think future generations are going to understand that and uh they're going to be more used to the that that idea that video games are a storytelling medium and it's no different than adapting a novel but um currently i, th- I think people just don't realize what's actually going on because you're right man I- i've seen some pretty compelling stories and some video games recently that th- stuff that had me thinking about it afterwards you know really cool stuff Listen, if people are going to consider Avatar to be a great film, then I don't see why they wouldn't consider video games to be a storytelling medium. Yeah, cause just because Avatar is basically a video game cutscene. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's see then. So, moving on. Moving on up. We are... To the east side. Trying to get that critical hit roll. Number three. Number three. Let's see here. <clears throat> you want to read this one? Yeah. This one sounds like your favorite. It's the, my favorite? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, I see. <laughs> it says, it's the Reverend Billy Mad Brown uh, asking, uh, what's the best game on Sega Genesis, Mortal Kombat or Donkey Kong? 
Donkey Kong. Well, now that game wasn't on Sega Genesis. Um, it could be on whatever it wants, man. It but, identifies with Sega Genesis. Now we're familiar with Billy Mad Brown. He's a he's a preacher from South Texas, where we are from. And uh, I, I think Listen, I know. I think yeah, I know why he's asking this. Have you been seeing what's going on with modern churches? I mean, they are entertaining these days. Like, you, well, I know they got to be hip, man. You got to. What, what do you know? You gotta, I know that when I was growing up, I knew there were very few rules in life that were more solid than this one. And that's that you don't mess around with Billy Mad Brown. That's right. Yeah. No, you don't even know. But I mean, don't talk in his church. You pay attention in his church. That was, that was back when church was church, man. But it's like spitting in the wind. Know, these days I saw a clip the other day of a, uh, the, the band in this church did a, a Lincoln park song and they just like took all the R rated words out and uh, just played a Lincoln park song in church for the audience it's so lame it's super lame but it, it, so that's what he's up against so he's I guess he's asking for some advice because he wants to probably talk about video games and kind of get some of the kids to think he's hip so you know I, I'm gonna say go with Mortal Kombat Donkey Kong's a little okay. dated man but um, listen I'm all about Donkey Kong because I'm all about that chimp life well did you ever go to Billy Mad's church back in the day no I, I no. it was awesome man I would, I would he's, have he's, turned on fire he was I mean this guy he's old school he's like Jesus Jesus, you know, he's got that kind of, ooh, uh, you know, I was I was in my house the other day and I heard the most god-awful, ungodly sounds coming from my son's bedroom. I, I walked on down the hallway and I opened the door. I said, son, what are you doing? What, are, what are you, What's going on in, in your bedroom here? Explain this to me. What's on, my, on the television? He said, daddy, this here is my Sega Genesis. I said, what? Now I'm familiar with the book of Genesis in the Holy Bible, but I, I've never heard of no Sega Genesis. He said, I said, son. Who is the blue man on the TV that you're controlling right now? He said, Daddy, that there is Sonic's the Hedgehog. So, oh, son, Proverbs 23, 12. When I was a man, I threw away childish things, boy. Look, it's, I'll tell him, boy, you're going to focus on mortal combat when you f- should be focusing on spiritual combat. Son, you're going to be following... Donkey Kong, when you should be called following the Jesus, when you should be following the King of Kongs, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hold on a second. I think King Kong is someone different. The King of Kongs, King. Of, there was that guy that had the highest score, but no, I'm talking about my Lord and Savior, the King of Kongs himself, Jesus Christ, my personal Lord and Savior. I said Super to him, Star. son, there's only one high score you need to worry about, and that's the highest score in heaven. That's the big game over in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's every day is like that at Billy Mad's church. It's fantastic. It sounds, uh, it sounds pretty cool. Well, well us, ironically, he also wants us to know that he's thankful for Daiquiri's yeah. and Nudie Magazine Day. I mean, who doesn't love Nudie Magazine Day? You know, this is like the uh, Black Friday for preachers. That's this is a thing that they do. They get together and they uh, they share vintage R-rated gentlemen's magazines, and then they have is their it own kind of like a, Daiquiri recipes, like the like the, like the Quake the, is it the Quakers. No, the Amish. It's Amish. The Amish. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was one of those cults. So I think it's much like the Amish, whereas when you're 18, you can go out into the world for a couple of years and do whatever. And if you come back, then you're like Amish for life. Once a year, every year, for roughly six hours, reverends everywhere can enjoy daiquiris, non-virgin, and nudie magazines. It's, yeah, but it's, not, it's not like a part of their religion. It's, it's just like all, all no, the male no, no, preachers like, in the town get together and they share their daiquiri recipes. And no, they, it's, they, Matt, it's like this. It's like the spiritual purge. They, they, no, I mean you, you have twelve hours during the during the nudie magazine day. Trust me, to indulge in pleasures of the flesh. It's not as exciting as that. It, like the nudie magazines they sh- they trade are like you know collectors' items, like vintage R-rated things that they. 
It's like a, oh, it's just a hobby that they do. But but he he he's thankful for it, and I, and so am I. Well, aren't we all? All right. <laughs> well, let's see what we've got next on the list of questions. Number four. Number four. Oh, right down the list. Do you want to go with this one? Or you want me to go with this? Two one? shakes of a dog's butt asks, "How do I train the squirrels in my backyard to eat out of my hands?" Uh, well, Matt, I've got a little bit of experience with this. Do you? Growing up in South Texas, I used to have a tree in the backyard, and I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. You know, people would pick on me, call me names, and wouldn't let me play any of their reindeer games. And oh my! So. What I would do is I would I would wade out into the backyard, right? And I would sit for hours, very still-like, with my hands perched up by my chest. And I would wait for the squirrels to identify me as one of their own. You know, they'd, they'd eventually, they slowly but surely, they'd ease up to me and they'd sniff around. They'd scurry back to their trees. And then the next day they'd get a little closer. But eventually they accepted me as one of their own tribe. And uh, when that happened, when they accepted me, I took a squirrel bride back then to be married in and uh, and I would be able to feed them from my hand from that moment on that's insane uh, that's that is insane dude uh, two shakes if you don't have time to do all that I'm going to recommend just like hang out at a college campus with a lot of trees because um, the squirrels there get used to eating stuff from the students and, and you can just go Earn and play trust. with them and they're, they're basically domesticated squirrels you have to you have to speak their language ew ew I don't like when you do that <laughs> two shakes is two shakes is thankful for all the bears and fuzzy socks. Understood. Is, is it the bears or the squirrels? You gotta make up your mind. Two shakes. Two shakes likes animals. That's who who doesn't love animals. Oh. I love animals. Don't eat them. <laughs> Too late. All uh, right. Uh, let's see what that is. I think it's an eight. It's a, it's I think it's an eight. Uh, all right. Yeah. This is from our friend Mikey. Hey, Mikey, the real Mikey. Have either of y'all seen Blood Rage? If not, what is your favorite holiday-themed horror film, horror movie? Um, I have not seen Blood Rage, but Matt, you've seen it, right, recently? I I haven't seen Blood Rage. Blood Rage wants me to see it, man. I'm telling you, this movie's following me. It's weird. I only heard about it like a week ago. Seriously, because uh, I have Shutter and uh, Shutter, unlike Netflix and Hulu, it does a thing called Shutter TV. So when you, whenever you turn on the Shutter app, it's already playing uh, like a live bro- broadcast, basically not live, but it's already playing uh, TV. It, so right, what, it's, it's got a linear program. There you go. Thank you with the technical term. Uh, it, yeah, and so I turned it on the other day, and, and Blood Rage was playing, and I went, "Well, that looks like a really interesting movie, but um, I, I want to watch something from the start." So I, I changed it, but it was—I mean, it was like this guy killing somebody with an axe and then smoking a cigarette the whole time and saying really like quirky one-liners about how much fun he's having, and it looked like my kind of film. And then this uh, meme has been going around all week, uh, just from out of nowhere, of um, as if it's like one of those anti-marijuana ads from the '60s, and it. But it's right. a, it's Joe, ba- uh, Joe Biden. Ad? Yes, but it, yeah, but it's uh, it's got the guy from Blood Rage in it. Uh, it says like, "This is Tony. He smoked one marijuana and killed his whole family." Um, and so I don't know, man. I've seen that like three times this week, and so all of a sudden, uh, and now Mikey is asking us about this movie. It's like, you know, matter of a week, a, a film I've never heard of is just ever present in my life. And do you ever have times like that? Like I, I have at the same time. Uh, songs. Uh, I I see a song. Uh, uh, someone posts something on Facebook, and then later on, it's just on the radio. Uh, Christy McCall. I just heard her for the first time twice in the same day. 
I mean, I'm talking about some crazy. It's like if there was a coincidence knob in my life, it's been it's been turned up, man. Like well, 80%. Matt, there's two theories on that that scientists have. Uh, number one is that we're all living in the matrix. That life is in fact a simulation, and that what you're experiencing is glitches in said matrix. Uh, errors and programming from our digital creators in the digital sky. Um, the other perfectly rational uh, explanation is that it's magic and that someone is actually casting a spell on you. Maybe it's Mikey. Maybe Mikey is doing a little hoodoo on you, dude, and trying to get you to watch Blood Rage. I know about Mikey and his chaos magic, and you, you better cut it out, man. You read all those Grant Morrison comics, and now you're trying to... I mean, it could be. There's also, uh, you know, we, we are a uh, cinema-based podcast, and there's also a uh, Repo Man had that lattice of coincidence thing. Remember that? And Alex Cox's Repo Man? Yeah. The mechanics talking about how uh, there's this whole lattice of coincidence that overlays us all, and we barely notice it. Like, you might be thinking of a... Um, that you want to eat shrimp later and then across the room at the party someone says the word shrimp and you, you, you don't even think twice about it. Why would you? I never think that. But it, well, you don't think, think of shrimp, shrimp. but uh, what's the vegan version of shrimp? It, shrimp with a Y? Seitan? <laughs> well, you, you could just sort of shrimp flavored seitan then, whatever. Yeah, yeah I'm just saying uh, that, you know, there's there's a cinematic precedence for this and I feel like I am in Repo Man's Lattice of Coincidence right now. I think it's chaos magic. Well, he, he, we already answered what our hol- favorite holiday theme films were, though, didn't we? So I don't know if we... Yeah, I mean, I'll just add, you know, one thing I didn't mention before is... Um, do you remember Tales from the Crypt, the very first Tales from the Crypt episode? It was the first episode ever? I think it was. It was like a... It was based on one of the segments from the Tales from the Crypt movie. But it's basically a Santa Claus killer. Do you remember that? Well, well the movies came out long after the show. No, 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 no. There's a Tales from the Crypt movie from the 70s that the series is based no on. Oh, shit. And it's an, it's an anthology movie, much in the vein of Creepshow. And one of the segments was that the serial killer is on the loose and he, he uh, takes a Santa Claus's outfit. It's like, I don't know, slay, Santa Slay, slaying on Chris. I don't know what uh-huh. it is. Anyways, the, the end is great because, like, this guy's terrorizing this woman and her child and. She's locked all the doors, and then she thinks she's safe, and then there's Santa by her baby, and and like the kid let him in because he thought he was Santa. Oh, but he was a and murderer. Then, and then it cuts to black, and he was a murderer. He was there to slay them. Dan, uh, speaking of that double that double uh, meaning uh, crypt keeper joke you just did, Entendre? you need to add that uh, laugh too if you can do it. Crypt keeper laugh, man. He oh, always laughs at his own point. jokes. Did I, did I tell you I've uh, I've worked with John Kassir. Is that the dude that does the voice of the Crypt Keeper or something? Yeah, he's great. Back in 2009, up in Big Bear on a movie called Donner Pass. I respect that. Um, I'm going to throw in some honorable mentions, though, because uh, he kept using that sleigh in the same... There's a film called Santa Sleigh. And uh, have you ever seen that one where it has a... Is that with Bill Goldberg? Yeah, Goldberg, the wrestler, plays this, like, murderous Santa. Man, that film is... That shit is awesome, dude. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, that's a really cool movie. It's just crazy. And uh, what's, what's awesome is it has... Um, this star-studded cast with Fran Drescher and uh, John Hamm, I think, is in it. Um, star-studded? A, yeah, oh, dude, a bunch of re- like really famous, like where you're going, I'm really surprised to see that guy. And, and I'm surprised like they Martin got her Sheen? in this film. And they all die in the first scene. 
<laughs> it's amazing. It's just this. Uh, you want to know how much money they spent on that I one know, day? Yeah, shooting? it's this Christmas dinner scene, and they're just they're having this lovely Christmas dinner with you know Hollywood's elites, uh, not playing themselves. But um, then uh, Bill Goldberg, Santa Claus, comes down the chimney and just starts murdering everyone. And uh, can you imagine the size of that the chimney that would have allowed Bill Goldberg to slide down it? Uh, I think Santa. Well, we've. That, a, I mean, that's something. Uh, Santa's fella. got a lot of magic uh, powers for chimneys and stuff. I think. Chaos magic. Uh, so that's a great one. Uh, the other one I'm gonna throw in there is Silent Night, Deadly Night Two, because it's got my man, um, Clint Howard. You know, Ron Howard's younger, crazier, uglier brother, and uh, man, More he's talented. he's amazing in that film, and that's it, a really fun. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night's like a Christmas theme horror series. There's like eight of them now, but uh, yeah, the, the second one's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Shall we carry on, sir? Yes, we should. The dice say number six, y'all. Number six, six, six. The number of the beast. Okay. Uh, From Alyssa Morgan. How do you budget for a horror film, especially in the makeup department? Matt, you can take this one first. I would ask my friends to, first off, just start saving some money. Um... And, and not you know not eating out as much I would probably buy less video games and makeup I know on, around Halloween you can get really good sales on makeup in the departments Dave why are you asking me to answer this what, are you t- what am I supposed to because <laughs> that was way better than my answer <laughs> so um, here's the thing how do you budget for a horror film it's kind of like asking a magician how he does his trick um, but basically you just kind of have to know it's just I've, if you've done it long enough and you've made enough mistakes along the way and you've you've had enough practice at it, there are just certain things you know. But generally for a horror film, I don't know, I'd probably put like 10K in for special effects or makeup effects rather, maybe maybe a little bit more. But depending on what the needs of the of the film are, I'd say between 8 to 15K seems right. All right. Eight thousand bucks to fifteen thousand dollars worth of makeup. Just uh, like I said, you get from the Halloween stores the day after Halloween. Just eat at home, you know. uh, Look for sales. You'll you'll be able to save up and get it. I'm sure. Uh, Right. Uh, Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday. There you go. Small business Saturday. Yes, right. Stay at home Sunday. I've already had that one. Number seven. Number seven. Number seven from another makeup artist. Bianca Peace asks, how did you like Dr. Sleep as a sequel to The Shining? Well, we talked about Dr. Sleep a little bit, but mostly on my White Clawed Fueled conspiracy theory that it's really about age warfare. So, Matt, as a, as a, in, in comparison to it being a sequel to The Shining, how do you think that it stacked up? I think it was cool. I think it's a great way to do a sequel to The Shining because The Shining isn't a... Uh... Yeah, it's a, it's not a really a sequelable, if that's a term, uh, kind of story. Uh, it's not the kind of thing where, ooh, I want to see what happens in Shining Part Two. They left it on a cliffhanger, and the you know the monster is going to raise from the dead. It's not that kind of thing. So uh, to make it into this thing that um, you know, decades later we get to see uh, the, the the boy from it as an adult and have a completely different story, but it's still the same universe. I thought that was really cool. I'd like to see more sequels like that, where we just, so many films, they introduce us to a world with its own rules and its own lore. And we get to you know hear about all, all this strange stuff going on in that world, but 
we don't get to ever experience any more of it. It's once once the monster's killed, that's it. The world is monster-free forever. Or unless that specific monster comes back to life for a sequel. Whereas Dr. Sleep says, we've introduced to you a universe that has some strange paranormal rules and all kinds of stuff goes on. And then the sequel just tells us another story in that world. And I like that a lot. Well, what I liked about it in the spirit of Thanksgiving is that, you know, Mike Fanagan's Dr. Steep acted in very, very much so as a bridge between Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and um, Stephen King's The Shining. As we've noted before, they, they were very unhappy with each other's work. Um, there's a lot of animosity there, as as sometimes happens with family members, right? You you have your family member who voted for Trump, and then you know you're the reasonable one, and you, you go to Thanksgiving dinner, and he, they're trying to make you pray to Jesus, but you don't believe in Jesus, and it's awkward for everyone. We've all had those experiences, but what Mike Flanagan did with his movie Doctor Sleep was kind of like that that cool uncle that's you know a couple wines in, is a little tipsy, but like. They just want everyone to get along because they smoked a lot of peyote back in the 60s. And so they decided to tell you a story about their like a mushroom trip through the mountains of uh, Morocco. And, you know, you, you quickly realize that none of his story makes sense. But like you're so engaged and entertained by it that you forget that your family is a bunch of bigots and that they voted for a terrible monster who is trying to uh, suppress your rights and you get along and you break bread and you eat some seitan and everyone has a good time and watches the warriors did, did something like this happen to you at thanksgiving this year i don't want to talk about it i i just don't do that anymore i i don't uh, want to know what they think i don't engage them on it if they try to talk to me about it I focus on board games and cocktails and food. Um, yeah, it's not going to happen uh, anymore. Probably smart. <laughs> Probably smart choice. To yeah, I, I mean, I, I I know what my family members think of politics and politicians and presidents and stuff. I, I don't need to ask. Yeah, I'd rather just uh, just enjoy the time I have with them. Pass the yams. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I also want to just make a, a a quick aside because this is still Thanksgiving one. Uh, you know that thing when people put marshmallows on their sweet potatoes and stuff. I, no, yeah, don't do don't that. Do that. We, I heard, it's gross. Yeah, I, I was at a country music show recently in a, a here in Austin, and the guy was talking about that, and, and I was like, "Yeah, it's a really good point, man. Don't put marshmallows on it." And and then also, we had uh, that. If there was going to be a point of contention at my family Thanksgiving, it was going to be the marshmallows on the sweet potatoes. Matt, you're, you're a, I have a question. I've always, I've been always kind of a, afraid to ask, you know, sometimes you want to ask about different cultures and you feel like it might be inappropriate. So you don't want to do it, but, um, you're a gringo, right? Uh, so it would be a white people cooking question. Potato salad uh, with raisins. What do you want to know? Yeah. What's, uh, <laughs> what's up with the ambrosia salad or what, what's that shit? The purple, the pinkish purpley gooey looks like chicken nuggets before they're cooked concoction that you, you folk eat. Oh, Oh, I think I've seen that once uh, when uh, I like my my grandpa's sister did Thanksgiving dinner when we were growing up. That's I think that's some 1950s, like really old school shit. I, it's like a gelatin product. Right. And it's I don't know. It looks gross. But but it, but it looks like it's wobbly and cold and it's like a gelatin yeah, kind of thing. Just, and it's pink. Maybe there's little chunks of fruit in it or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know what the source of that is or where that came from, but 
Uh, and I don't, so I don't know if you're even correct that it's a white people thing. Uh, I feel like uh, it may not be a, uh, you know, Latino Hispanic people thing, but I don't think it's only a white people thing. Well, I, I know it is not uh, from my people. We eat tamales. Well, I, I mean, South Texans. You know, we all eat That's tamales, right. man. Respect. <laughs> yeah, of course, dude. Now, uh, every once in a while, we're so bold that we try to make our own. Um, but uh, mostly, uh, you, you get the hookup. That's what's like the cool thing to, to do out here in Texas. You find out about some grandma that's selling out of her back uh, porch. You yeah, know, so you go pick it up. and Let's really expand upon this. For, for those of you who are not from Texas or live in Texas. So in Texas, tamales are actually really difficult to make. And so, and even if you can make them, they usually aren't nearly as good as, you know, when OG makes them. So it's almost like a drug deal or like a speakeasy, right? Like you got to find someone who knows someone and then they just like show up in like the back of a supermarket parking lot and like you hand up some cash and they hand you an HEB bag with a bunch of things rolled up in tinfoil, you know, and then like you don't really speak. That's just like a quick exchange, and then you go on your way, and they go on their way. Or, or you're and uh, then you get home. You're and, at work one day, and some dude shows up with a styrofoam ice chest, and he just goes, yeah. "Hey, anybody want some tamales?" And you, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you ever been at a restaurant where like the dude shows up trying to sell roses? Yeah, <laughs> it's like that, but with the tamales. Yeah, they just fu- delicious. Find where you know some car shop or or where a bunch of contractors are working, and they just show up with an ice chest full of hot tamales wrapped in foil. It's awesome. Uh, I, Much like Blood Rage, you don't find tamales. Tamales find that's you. That's true. They will find you uh, if you know where to be. I I am um, marrying into tamales. You know, some people marry into money. Uh, those the, people have it the wrong. The family that I will be a member of soon is, uh, you know, in February when I get married, uh, the, my fiance and her mother make some killer tamales. And so, uh, yeah, I don't want, she just walked by and she's, I'm in the house and she just walked by and I, I don't want her to know that, um, you know, that that's part of the motivation. But, uh, well, listen, I think that's, that's what true love is. <laughs> Next question. Moving on. Number one. Number oh. one. That means and this is not a question. if this was D&D, my head would have just exploded or, or my fireball That's I cast right. would have lit my clothes on fire. Well, Matt, I don't want you to, to spontaneously combust for this is not a question, but it is a, a giving of thanks. And um, I want to include it because I think it really exemplifies what this whole episode is about. Okay. This is from, this is from Stace Face Marie. And she is thankful. She says, I am thankful for the opportunities that I've had to learn a multitude of perspectives all by traveling and immersing myself into different cultures, the sheer ability to turn on my phone and talk to anyone about anything on a social media platform, being able to call a car and chat with strangers driving me. She's talking about Lyft and Uber and those type of uh, car services. Thanks to everyone I've encountered. I've learned a little bit of something new, even if I didn't agree with it, and that encourages my life to not be an echo chamber and for me to continue to learn more perspectives and stories. We agree, Stacey. That is a great, great thing to be thankful for. And part of what we do and what we encourage people to do is to share each other's stories. Matt is a Matt is a gringo who likes ambrosia salad. and You're a Mexican that knows what ambrosia salad is. I didn't even know what that was. You had to explain I'm it. I'm a Mexican, sir. All right, this next question is from Amira MJ Reyes. What origin story from the DC universe do you think Todd Phillips should make? And do you think the new Joker should be intertwined with the new Batman? 
I'll answer this one. Um, I think any character, if it's written from a compelling place, is an interesting story to tell. I think that um, just because Joker was a success doesn't mean that any character can be a success. I think we've seen that, you know, even though the Dark Knight was a was good, sort of being grim and gritty, didn't mean Superman or Batman versus Superman or Justice League worked in that same vein. So it really comes down to the character. Is the character compelling? Is the story interesting? And if so, then it'll make a good movie. And no, I don't think they should be intertwined. I think Joker works great because it stands on its own. All right. I, I think we're at the point now where I'm going to be rolling more negatives than positives. Uh, so let's just, and, and we really only have one question and then it's, we just and then go it's down nothing but lightning round questions. It's, it's the okay, guys so that one just... question wasn't good enough for them. So let's, let's answer right. Mark's question now. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Mark from the Grave Talk podcast, how can you do an episode on a positive future for humanity and skip Star Trek? And Mark is also grateful for science and scientists that continue to try and improve our world for the better. Well, that's a very Star Trek thing to be grateful for, Mark. Yeah, we we love Mark. I want to tell the audience something uh, that we you know we've been doing this show for like a year now, and Mark, I think he's listened to just about every episode. And the way I know this is. Uh, he, you know, and, and obviously our show is not as professional uh, as the Grave Talk podcast, but uh, I get pointers from him after every episode, man. <laughs> like I get a string of text messages of everything we did wrong, uh, every fact we got Nothing. wrong. I mean, never done, uh, never done that once. Yeah. Never once got a fact wrong. Yeah, well, Mark might not agree with you about that, but uh, we'll just Listen, leave it he at He can that. step into the Thunderdome anytime he wants. <laughs> I mean, the guy knows his shit, and uh, he calls us out on a lot of stuff, including this. This is a good point that he's making. Why didn't we talk about uh, Star Trek? And, uh, Mark, I'm the reason I didn't talk about Star Trek is because I hate to say this, but I think it's lame. I don't like it. I think it's boring, and I think it's about a Ooh. a bunch of tryhard nerds that are just floating around in a dumb-looking spaceship that I don't like either. And even the aliens, they look stupid. They're just humans with different heads. I mean, how is that aliens, well, man? <laughs> I don't just. I I disagree with you. Um, I have a more simple. They answer, are though. Matt. No, dude. They. I mean, you could take any Star Trek uniform and put it on one of the aliens, and it would fit. It's just humans with different heads. How is that aliens? Why are they all primate based with just a different kind of head? Maybe in the Star Trek universe, the only things that can live are humanoid beings. Well, then why are their heads different? They're still humanoid. Why do chimps have different heads than us? Chimps aren't humanoid. They're primates. Yes, they are. They don't walk upright and they have tails. Yes, they do. I've seen them use. I saw a meme where a chimp had a club and was about to hit a lion and he was upright. Bro. Do you know bears can walk upright? They don't up, have right? boobs, do they? No. Not all people but have boobs. Star Trek aliens have boobs. Why do aliens have boobs? Because you can milk something with boobs. <laughs> Why would they have milk? Are they mammals? Yes, they're humanoid mammal being alien lizards. No, listen, my answer is much more simple. I forgot. It was actually on my list um, in my head of movies when I, so I was picking them. And then when I went to actually write it down, I forgot that it was in my head as part of my list. And it got bumped by whatever else I added on that list, which at this point I don't even remember because mostly I think that the future is doomed. And so that was a real struggle. That episode was a real stretch for me. I really felt like I had to like, you know, reach a little bit. You, uh, you so I just forgot. think that after all that work we did on last week's episode, you're still concerned? 
I don't know, man. I've read some of these questions, and I think that uh, <laughs> the future might be doomed when, I, when we get to some of these Scorsese Marvel questions. Mark, thank you for your question. All right. Yes, thank and you. I'm sorry. I forgot. Dude. Also, just I'm going to do a plug real quick. Uh, I, I'm going to be on an episode of Grave Talk Podcast uh, nice. coming up, the New Year's Eve episode, which we actually will talk about the film Doom, uh, the new one. Ooh. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. So I hope to uh, see you all there, listeners. Follow us over the Grave so Talk Podcast. So would you say... Would you say, Matt, that the future is doom? No. Yeah. I No. I thought I made that clear. <laughs> but you're I'm, going to talk I'm, about doom in the future. Therefore, the future is doomed. Oh, not if they make a decent doom film. Then the future is going to be no, Matt, the Matt, shit, Matt, 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 you're not listening. You're not listening. In the future, you talk about doom on New Year's Eve. We're at Thanksgiving. So the future is doom. It's fine, man. Just... Lightning round. All right. Lightning round. Pew, 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 pew. Who's first, brother? Um, let's just go in order. Uh, let's go with our friend. Uh, sometimes sub. He's like the uh, who? Who's the sub for Johnny Carson all the time? Burt Reynolds. No, I have no idea, dude. That... Anyways, Jude sometimes subs in as a co-host when he's in town. Uh, Jude has like six questions, so we're just gonna lightning round it, much like we did with Jason Zini. And so I'm gonna read them. I'm gonna read them to the audience, and then you and I will tackle them. In lightning fashion, okay? Shoot from the hip. Okay, this is a real stream of consciousness. This is this is podcast jazz, man. So Jude asks, does one have to choose a side between Scorsese and Marvel-style cinema? How do you see theatrical versus streaming playing out in the future? Is deciding canon only consist of good films in a franchise a cop-out? Do fans prefer CG or practical effects? Are Oscars and other awards a legitimate litmus test for a film's worth or just a Hollywood political cash grab? Has digital technology of films raised the quality of content or watered it down? All right, I'm going to give it a go. Go, Speed Racer. Go. Uh, theatrical is going to become more like going out to a concert. You know, it's going to be a, a special event. It's already kind of there, in fact. Uh, most people are going to want to watch movies uh, streaming in their own home because we all have awesome TVs now that we didn't have back in the day. But uh, when you want a night out, that's what the theater is going to be. So we're going to start seeing more theaters offer a lot more features. Um, uh, I don't think that. Uh, ooh, that's a tough one. The second one, Canon. Should the only good films be Canon? Uh, man, yes. Just because if I say no to that, if I say everything goes, then uh, I'm allowing a whole lot of dumb stuff into a whole lot of places where I don't want it to be. Uh, so yeah, only the good films are canon. If you don't like it, just say it ain't canon. Figure out your own fan theory for why it's not. Uh, do fans prefer CG or practical effects? Um, I think th- I think that they actually prefer CG because good CG you won't know it's even there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, but well, but he's asking about fans. Oh damn, That's no, right. I think true fans of a thing they pay attention to stuff like that and they they like a nice well polished well done practical effect so hell i don't know oscars definitely a cash grab oscars are ridiculous how do anybody even give credit to that anymore i mean oscars no uh, and digital technology has raised the quality, uh, raised the quality of films. It's uh, it's it's a very powerful tool, and it opens up a lot of things. Because remember, digital technology does not just apply to audio production and CGI in films. It also adds to 3D printing of props and true. designing of things like that. So that's a big deal, guys. So yes, digital technology has really enhanced cinema, and is going to continue to. All right. 
So, does one have to choose sides between Scorsese and Marvel-style cinema? No, you don't have to. I mean, Scorsese films are better and Marvel films are schlock. And you can enjoy schlock if you'd like to, but it's just a simple matter of there is a standardized uh, answer this on the Jason Zini question. For the last hundred years or so, there has been sort of a generally accepted idea of what constitutes good film. And most of the you know superhero movies don't fit that criteria. But, you know, they're pop art. And pop art has a place in the world as well. Um, how do you see theatrical versus streaming playing out? I think that much like vinyl with music, uh, even though theatrical, the theatrical experience is far superior to watching at home, no matter how good your TV is, uh, it, it will be concentrated to the, to spectacles, like you said, Matt. It was sort of, sort of more of like a concert. And uh, for cinephiles and for, for hardcore fans, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit more uh, niche. The, the idea of going to cinema to watch like a mid-sized film, but it, it will it will stick around in some form, especially places like Alamo Drafthouse and uh, the New Beverly and places that, that bring back a little nostalgia in your theater-watching experience. Um, is the sighting canon only consists of good films a cop-out? Yes, I think that it is, and I'll tell you why. Mr. Chaos Theory himself, Grant Morrison, is able to take decades worth of shitty comic book stories and fold them into great stories, and he does so masterfully. So if you're good at your craft, you can do that. And if you suck at your craft, then you'll skip all the bad stuff because you're lazy. So don't do it. Mm. Um, do fans prefer CG or practical effects? I think to your point, Matt, I think hardcore fans prefer the appreciate the craft, and therefore they appreciate uh, practical effects. But, you know, several decades from now, as the, the craft of CG continues to increase, uh, there may be a whole new generation down the line that that really uh, you know uh, appreciates the craft of, of of computer graphics. So I think right now I would say uh, practical effects, but who knows what the future holds? Are the Oscars a crash grab or a legitimate litmus test? Yes, yes, they are both. Yeah. Um, uh, has the digital technology raised the quality of content or watered it down? I know why Jude is asking this because we deal with 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 the advert and with the advancement of digital filmmaking. The floodgates have been opened, and what you see is an influx of young filmmakers, many of which didn't go through the hardships that, say, Jude Jude and, and generations before Jude went through, and uh, d- therefore didn't earn their stripes. Right? Everyone is a producer because they're buddies with a director. And someone buys a camera, and they are certainly a DP. And so, of course, that does exist. That being said, that is a natural offshoot of, uh, you know, when the when the when the gatekeepers are thrust, the, when the gatekeepers are put in the guillotine, and the gates have been knocked down, you're going to get some bad, but you're going to get a lot of good too. Because I don't think my career would be have advanced as fast as it did if not for the digital boom. And I think there's a lot of other filmmakers who who do really put time into developing their craft and really do care about what they do and I, I don't think that those doors would be open to them and so I don't believe that art should be should be restrained to just those with with the ability to afford it uh, much like healthcare it should be free for everyone to obtain but that means sometimes you're going to get some bad stuff in there and that's okay too because from the bad you like like David Lynch would say you need the bad to shine a spotlight on the good. All right, we're not very good at lightning lightninging these questions. We're kind of That was me going really fast. I know. So let's just say this episode is going to go a little long. What do you say? Let's we'll see. Sometimes <laughs> I let it go a little long. Whatever. Who cares? Next question. If 
from Lance W. Lanfear, a excellent producer in his own right. Okay, <clears throat> what are the top Thanksgiving movies of all time? When you hear a certain song being played and remind you of a scene it was cut to, does it enhance your experience of the song or annoy you that you can't get that scene movie image out now ever? What's your top three Gene Hackman performances, characters, movies? Uh, what's your favorite romantic comedy that might be better ser- served remade as a horror movie? You want to take this one first, Matt? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. So, these this is like a whole other show. Uh, <laughs> like we, uh, lightning round. Okay, all right. Uh, top, top Thanksgiving movie of all time is probably a Christmas movie. Uh, it's it, it's the uh, You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Yeah, Christmas Story. That, that movie's great. Okay. That's uh, great. Because I think there's a Thanksgiving scene. I, hell, I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, right? The turkey and the dogs. Uh, no. I, I don't remember. Oh, it's a Christmas Christ. movie. When you hear a certain song be playing, it reminds you. Okay, if it's a scene from a film, I usually like that better. But if it's a, if I hear a song and it reminds me of the commercial that used it. Oh, uh, yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> What's your top three Gene Hackman performances? Um, Raleigh... No, what was, what was his name in Royal Tenenbaums? Royal Tenenbaum. Oh, yeah. Royal Tenenbaum. Remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it was, it, Royal, that was his name. Yeah. You don't remember that? That's like the that's, one Wes Anderson movie I've not seen. Ah, it's a great movie. And Gene Hackman really hacks it up in it. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> what else What else is Gene Hackman? Uh, uh, what's that movie? Um, Chinese Connection? Wasn't that him? Uh, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. But the best Gene Hackman fucking scene of all time was from buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension i think he was john big booty and uh he was this crazy possessed italian scientist possessed by eighth dimensional beings he carried in his pocket a appliance cord you know like you'd plug into the wall that just was split in two and he would recharge himself by sticking it to his tongue after he plugged into the wall it was fantastic man who amongst (laughs) us has done that yeah, so Gene Hackman, but Gene Hackman's great, man. What a, what a treasures. Uh, let's see, what else we got? Um, Favorite romantic comedy that would be better served remade as a horror movie. Hmm. A romantic comedy that should have been a horror film. Damn. What's what's When Harry Met Sally about? Is that something I could go with? Does that work? Yeah, sure. Right, but instead of the but the part. When she's in the restaurant and he's like, I'll have what she's having. Uh, she dies. That it's death by orgasm. I, I don't know. I don't watch romantic comedies, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, brother. I better take the lead on this one. Then Matt, right, since then, you don't know, right. uh, what's your top Thanksgiving movie of all time? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious at this point. It's, uh, it's, it is blood rage. Blood rage is now my new favorite Thanksgiving movie of all time. Uh, when you hear a certain song, does it remind you of this? I, I can't answer it any better than you did. That's great. If it's from a movie, I'm here for it. If it's from a commercial, uh, go jump off a bridge. Um, <laughs> what are your top three Gene Hackman performances, characters, movies? Uh, you know, I had to really, as you were answering, I had to really delve into my knowledge of Gene Hackman performances. And I, I think I've dug up three really diverse and uh, poetic performances by the national treasure that is Gene Hackman. And that is as uh, Lex Luthor in Superman the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, Lex Luthor in Superman 2. And uh, Lex Luthor in Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. (laughs) 
Very few people can play the same <laughs> right. character and give it such a, a such a a, var, a vast and um, differential performance. So he nailed that, yeah. like Luther, man. He was Wigs great. off to you, Gene Hackman. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what romantic comedy would be better served remade as a horror movie? Uh, you got mail, which just naturally lends itself to be some creepy stalker movie. No, oh, you know, yes. like Tom Hanks. Which, if you the initial for Tom Hanks is T Hanks, thanks. Dude, I could see it, man. Like we, that needs to happen. People need corresponding, I mean, and, and plus the retro thing is big right now. You got mail would obviously be a '90s movie. That's right. <laughs> we do a set in the '80s horror. We do a '90s one. Ooh, that just that hearing that you've got mail could just send chills down your spine. Well, listen, Adam Bomb asked what movie from the last 25 years would be remade as a horror movie. Lance is asking what romantic comedy mm-hmm. would be remade as a horror movie. I mean, I think it's obvious. You got mail by T. Hanks, Mister Thanks himself. That's the way to go. Yeah, it sounds good. By the way, Lance, stay tuned uh, for our Gene Hackman special coming up because that needs to happen. All right, <clears throat> next lightning round question: Adamitism, Adamitism, yep. Adamitism, Adamitism, Adamitism. If your life was a work of fiction, what would your title be? What's the thing that you always forget to be thankful for? What's the what is the best movie that never got made? And three things Adamantism is thankful for is robust friend network spread around the globe, the patience of my partner, and crazy ass animals like squirrels and upright chips. Yeah, there's lots of crazy ass animals. If my life was a work of fiction, I think it would be called Black Snake Moan Two, and it would be about that kid. You know the one that gets uh, sexually T-O-O. assaulted, huh? Would be T O O like black black snake moan. We're gonna have to let the studio work that one out. But it's that kid that gets sexually assaulted. Uh, he grows up. Remember by uh, by Christina Ricci, she just kind of jumps on him, Christina and then uh, and then Samuel L. Jackson gives him a cigarette afterwards. You don't remember that? <laughs> Kinda. Yeah. It was amazing. But yeah, he grows up to become a, another blues musician, and it's about his life in uh, doing the being a blues man. And okay. uh, that's right. that's the story of my life, apparently. In this scenario, you're, you're a black snake moan. All right, part, what about the next part one? two? Uh, what's the thing you always forget to be thankful for? I always forget to say thank you when someone opens a door for me at, uh, because that is just shame on you. I know it. Uh, and what is the best movie that never got made? Once again, that is Doom because a proper Doom movie has not been made yet. Just a bunch of shit. Uh, three things that she's thankful for. Oh, did, with that, I'm not sort of question. Okay, your turn. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> What uh, if your life is a work of fiction? What would the title be? Uh, Death by orgasm. Uh, what is the thing that you always forget to Explain be thankful for? Explain that one. <laughs> no, I don't think I will. <laughs> All right, go. Ahead. What is the thing you always forget to be thankful for? Uh, Blood rage. And Gene Hackman. Always forget about that. And then, uh, what is the best movie that never got made? Obviously, Tron Three. We talked about it last week. How yeah. has that movie not been made yet? Tron Re Legacy. The threequel. Three cool. Needs to happen. Tron with a three worked into it somehow. You love that. Hmm. Where does the Where does the three go? I don't know. Maybe uh, the O is a triangle because it's like delta, and oh, I think that's yeah, like, like three points. Yeah, we're we're getting there. Yeah. See, it just writes itself. See, boom. All right, and our final lightning round question from Jason from the Regrettable Century. He asked, <clears throat> "What is the most informative mockumentary?" What movie has the last heroic protagonist? What film's epic journey has been the least necessary? 
very positive questions from Jason from the Regrettable Century. Least heroic protagonist? Yeah. Oh, it's his last. Because Dave typed it. Oh. Okay. Uh, well. I think it's probably least, but yeah, we're going to go with least. It's least. It's got to be least. Uh, what films? Have, okay. The the most informative mockumentary for me, uh, we got to go back to the, uh, the, the one of the first uh, big ones, and that's Spinal Tap, man, because that, yeah. <laughs> I think that really shows... I, I mean, I don't know, but I imagine that's what it's like to be an aging rocker still holding on to the uh, aspects of your youth that are fading away. And, and, and just that, you know, that, 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 that oh, I, I mean, I'm going to step on some toes with this one, man. But uh, it's not I love heavy metal music, but it's not exactly a genre that you've got to be a uh, intelligent person to be a part of. I disagree, <laughs> sir. Well, at least uh, the, the, the well. The, oh, can we just, scratch just, that? Just, then you're like the you're like no no, no you're like the Homer Simpson gif. Uh, Listen, you're like the Homer Simpson gif that is slowly saying, no, backing I'm, into the bush. No, I am that, but I'm not. I'm saying I'm not saying you, you don't. That I'm not saying there's no smart people in it. I'm saying you don't have to be. I mean, do you feel like uh, feel like Glenn Danzig's a smart guy? Have you seen yes. his dissertation on Wolverine and violence? Yes, I have. And uh, he reads some weird it's books. Riveting. Violence. He reads. That's all he can say. I'm, I'm not saying. Look, uh, okay. You feel like uh, Dave Mustaine, pretty smart dude. Hell yeah. How so? A mind, a mind is a terrible thing to taste, sir. <laughs> Look. All right, all right. It's all, all right. about that education. I'm just well, and also these guys aren't like hacks like described in the film Spinal Tap, but but um, now the point is uh, it, it, it's there's something uh, about that uh, that the spirit of holding you know being in your 40s, 50s, and holding on to that uh, you know that that crazy try, trying to be a part of the the newer wave. Uh, you know, I, I bring up those artists because they've all had that phase. Where uh, they start doing the Judge Judd music, you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. It's like uh, yeah, I played a band that the Judge Judd music. No, no, no. I'm talking about like you, like you haven't heard. Judd, and I, Judd, I hate Judd, to Judd, man, I hate Judd, to even Judd, blast Judd. these guys, but it's like you haven't heard anything from Judas Priest in a while. And then an album comes out, and the first track, you know, the first single off it has that riff. You know what I mean? You know that riff. Great riff. It's a boring riff, man. And they all. And, and it's all them trying to get with the times. And that's what Spinal Tap's about. It's about a band trying to get with the times. And, uh, and, and it's just such a sad situation when you get that way. Uh, trying to hold on to their artistic integrity, but but they're not actually that concerned with it because they, they're more commercial. I don't know. I just I feel like I learned a lot about what not to do from the movie Spinal Tap. And I'm glad I saw it at a young age. That's good. All right. Uh, the least heroic protagonist to me is probably um, that the really pretty guy in the movie Drive. Uh, what what's that dude's name? In the movie or in real life? In the movie, there's it's a real the movie. Life. He's just the driver. Wait, no, his name. Well, oh, you mean yeah, no? In the I mean, movie, the actor, he has no name. The actor, he's beautiful. Oh. Uh, he's um the guy. He's all the ladies liked him for a long. Hey, girl, Ryan uh, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, Ryan, I was gonna yeah. say Seacrest. His Not his character Seacrest. in Drive was kind of crazy and fucked up and he wasn't really heroic but i did like the film i'm just saying like he's real stalkerish uh, yeah he was weird but uh, as a protagonist uh it didn't really 
give me the yeah that's a cool guy that's a hero but it, it but it was I, a great I love film that though movie. well i mean that i love that movie. that filmmaker he's he's really good at that uh did you ever see valhalla rising one of his other ones no but i've heard it's really great and i want to watch it yeah it's badass and in fact the, Have you heard the theory it, that the that the driver uh one-eyed from valhalla rising and uh a character from only god can judge are all the same character it's it's a god manifesting itself in three different human forms. Uh, well, if it's a god, I mean, in Valhalla Rising, it's pretty obvious what god it is. But uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I mean, because Valhalla Rising, you're watching it and you're going, "That's that's Odin. That's Odin, the Norse god and the you know master of right. everything." But a, I did not get an Odin vibe from Drive. I will tell you that. But, Odin as a young man. Hey, moving on. <laughs> Uh, what film's epic journey has been the least necessary? <laughs> That's a great question. Oh man, the least necessary could have solved it all in the beginning if they just would have stayed home. Um, it's like every movie. <laughs> yeah. No, I I think um, to, to there is one though that I feel that um, when I get to the end of it, I th- I think I haven't actually seen anything. And that is um, Inception. Uh, Inception to me, no man. Inception to me just looks like the delusions of a totally crazy person. That's just, I like this is what like the whole time I'm watching Inception, I just imagine that Leonardo DiCaprio's character is just kind of running around the insane asylum, jumping on the bed and going bang, 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 and 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 oh, and and, uh, here here's the secret documents. You know, I think he's just totally insane, and I think that everything we're watching is not really happening. That it's just a complete bunch of bullshit in the head of an completely. See, here's the thing, Matt. The thing, Matt, is that by the end of the film, what you should decide is it doesn't matter what what if what you watched was real or not real. The only thing that matters is that, that you accept it as real. I guess, but but he's asking, uh, what was it bombs. necessary? The journey was it necessary? And I, I say, do Hans Zimmer bombs. I say no because I bombs. think that the protagonist from Inception could have got as much done if he just would have taken a nap that day. I I don't think anything really happened. I, I think the part where his he, wife he's is, trying to get back to his kids. No, I think the part where his wife, uh, you see her talking to him and she's going, "You really believe you're like a secret agent traveling around the world and all that?" I think that's the most real part in the entire film. What she says. That he's crazy. Maybe so. Well, that's what a good film does. Is it leaves it up to interpretation. All right. So uh, the most informative mockumentary, A Mighty Wind, from the same people that brought you Spinal Tap, mostly because I like Dags. Do you like Dags, Matt? Well, I do. So I might want to watch Best in Show, and you might want to as well. Because oh, that's what I meant. I meant know. Best in Show, not Mighty Wind. <laughs> Best in Show. All by the same people. Uh what movie has the least heroic protagonist? Bad Santa. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Such a great movie. And he's not heroic. I think you could also do a Cobra Kai on YouTube Premium. Pretty non-heroic character as well. Um, and what film's epic journey has been the least necessary? This might be controversial, and I feel like Matt from uh, the Grave Talk podcast is going to come yell at me. You mean Mark. But uh, Lord of the Rings. Matt's, Matt's the guy you do a podcast with. You mean Mark what from I the say? Grave Talk podcast. Yeah, Mark. Clearly this uh, rum and rock star has started to take hold, so we must be near the end of our podcast. But um, the, the film whose epic journey I felt was at least necessary was Lord of the Rings, and this is why. What? It is three very long movies about walking to drop off some jewelry. And... I'd be fine with it 
if that same story had not been told better and more succinctly in the movie Willow. And therefore, the Lord of the Rings series is completely unnecessary as George Lucas and Willow was able to tell a very similar story in one movie. That's way better. I, I see where you're coming from, but I mean, I would say at least Hobbit would be even worse because at least Lord of the Rings is based on three books. Hobbit was just going, oh, uh, you know, these uh, the, the Tolkien cinema audience is used to trilogies. So can we stretch this book into three super long movies? What a mess. Well, we talked earlier. We talked earlier about Hollywood cash grabs, and I don't think there's a better example than The Hobbit. Yeah, no shit. So, Matt, that brings us to the end of our questions. We want to thank everyone who contributed. These were excellent. I mean, really thoughtful questions. We hope that our answers didn't completely suck. Um, and if they did, we hope that you laughed at us. Well, now's, now's the part in the show where we usually do t- uh, questions from the crypt. Um, to- this whole episode was a question <laughs> from the crypt. Okay, right, right. Yeah. I- so what should we do? So normally we, we kick this off to questions from the crypt, but we've already done that. So maybe we should do questions from the bloods. That's not the same word. Uh, <laughs> it is the same word. Crips is not like crypt. You understand that, right? Yeah. No, it's the same, same. It's a bunch of zombies with blue uh, handkerchiefs on their heads. What? All right, then. I guess that's it. I guess the show's over. Uh, happy no, Thanksgiving, no, everybody. Z- zombie, zombie gang members. What? That, there you go. There's a horror film that needs to be made. There you go. That's what we should make. We should make The Blood and the Crips. I feel like that's been made already. Zombie warfare. Oh, man. In the streets of the barrio. You need to end the show. Wake up, Hollywood. Get woke. That's how you want to end your Thanksgiving show. Wake up, Hollywood. Yeah. Get woke. <laughs> You're listening to the Grindhouse podcast on the Black Friday as a ploy for mass consumerism, and you could probably get better prices by shopping around and asking for deals without getting stomped to death by Gladys in Walmart for a 42-inch Hisense TV that she'll probably return in six months for being a piece of garbage network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.